So I have a little confession to make this morning. Not a big one, but a little one. So when Pastor and Andy and I sat down and talked about what sermon series we were going to do, and we agreed that we were going to do these three weeks on the gospel of Ted Lasso, I was supportive, I was excited, but I had not seen a single episode of Ted Lasso all the way through yet. True, true story. (laughs) I love Ina's face. (laughs) So needless to say, over the past few weeks, I have been hard at work. Hard at work, binging the first two seasons of Ted Lasso, all in the name of sermon prep. I know, you are so proud to have such a hard-working pastor here serving at your church. You're welcome. But, as I made my way through this series, I, like many others, began to fall more and more in love with it. The characters are compelling, the storylines are heartfelt and great, But do you know the moment in which I really fell in love with this series? So you might have thought that it was going to be some inspiring speech that Ted gave. It might have been when this sign, Believe, first came up or some little funny bit. No. What made me fall in love with this series was when they showed when Ted Lasso had his first panic attack. Yes, when I saw that Ted had his first what became of many panic attacks, and it happened very realistically. When he was out with his friends, and he was trying to run away from all the worries and stresses of life, trying to get them out of his mind, but realizing that you just can't run away from the worries and stresses and the fact that life is hard. And thus... In the middle of a bar, karaoke bar, out with friends, the panic attack comes. This connected with me because this hits home for me. So some of you over my time here have heard bits and pieces of my mental health story. And for some of you, this may be brand new to hear. But my first experience with what I jokingly call my friend anxiety came when my son was born in the form of postpartum anxiety. So many parents find themselves protective and worried when their children are born, but for me it was on a whole unprecedented level. So I didn't really sleep for the first three days when Wyatt was born, and it was not just because Wyatt was a newborn. So even when he was asleep, alone in his crib, following all the safe sleep guidelines you're supposed to do, I remember very clearly being awake in the bed, staring at him, being absolutely on edge, with my heart racing, being afraid and convinced that something was going to go wrong. I did something wrong. He was going to die. So Ted's story hits home for me because it has painful similarities to my own story. And so it's likely for many of us, whether we're here in person or online, that you might have echoes of this in your own story of life or in the story of someone that you care about. Mental health struggles, they're very real But it can be so hard for us to talk about them. It makes us feel 
vulnerable. It makes us feel weak. And perhaps what we have heard throughout the years, maybe it even makes us feel unchristian. We can buy into this false myth that if we just had enough faith or if we had just enough trust in God, we wouldn't have anxiety. We wouldn't have depression. We wouldn't have OCD or what have you in the first place. Or maybe we can be afraid because it's hard to be honest, to be authentic, to be vulnerable with one another. And all those fears can be pervasive and those fears can weigh heavy on us and within the context of Christian community. But here's the thing, their myths and their lies and their fears that are pervasive. But is any of it, any of it, even scriptural? So let's take a dive in today's scripture passage to find out. So we'll be reading today from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9, out of the Common English Bible version. He said to me, my grace is enough for you, because power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weaknesses insults, disasters, harassments, and stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So this is a powerful verse, but what is the context of this anyway? So it comes from Paul, and he's writing these series of letters to the church at Corinth. So the church at Corinth was a Christian community who really needed help getting their act together. So over the course of Paul's interaction with them, he had to send this church four letters and have what he called a painful visit. So 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter after that painful visit. It was a charge to remind them to stay away from the things that was were dividing them and keeping them apart. Sins, terrible sexual immorality, arrogance, That was causing division. You see, one of the things of Greek culture, it had power, it had patriarchy. They were obsessed with knowledge and wealth and status. All of these things were highly revered. And the culture tried to use these things to create dividing walls between each other in society. Christian community, however, was called to be different To be united in Christ Jesus, to practice Christ-like humility. But we see they weren't always perfect in not following the culture and instead following Christ. So we see in this passage, Paul's trying to flip that arrogant thinking on its head because of its community divisive nature. These two verses are part of a larger argument from Paul on where authority as a scriptural leader comes from. He's talking about his spiritual experiences, his faithfulness to the gospel, but all in his humility of pointing to God, God as the power behind it all, not him, not his own strength, not his own knowledge, not his own fortitude. It was so radical and countercultural for that day and age. 
In fact, Paul is so straightforward to acknowledge his weaknesses, and I love that. In verse 7, he says, I was given a thorn in my body because of the outstanding revelations I've received so that I wouldn't be conceited. It's a messenger from Satan sent to torment me so that I wouldn't be conceited. Now, scholars debate what Paul is meaning when he says this. Because, obviously, in ancient times, they had different understandings of what disabilities were, what physical ailments came from. It was all different. So, some suppose Paul could have been talking about a speech impediment he had that may have been keeping him humble. That tracks. Others say that maybe Paul was talking about having migraines. So, if anyone is in that camp with me, you know, thorn in your side... Yeah, that sounds like a good descriptor. And maybe messenger from Satan. Maybe that is a name that any fellow migraine sufferers, maybe we should adopt that. But some scholars say, and I love this, that maybe Paul was suffering with a mental illness that was plaguing him. Maybe it was our friend anxiety. Maybe it was giving him panic attacks. Maybe it was depression making him doubt his worth and his abilities. Maybe it was obsessive compulsive disorder, making it hard for him to function. Maybe it was something else. Who knows? But here's the thing. In the context of Christian community, with the church, Paul's, in his own, in their own struggles toward Christian perfection that Paul knows very, very well, did Paul shy away from any of these struggles? Did he lie and say that everything was fine? Did he put up walls and pretend to have it all together? Did he determine that his faith meant that I need to be strong and put on this veneer of perfection? No. He was honest. He was vulnerable. He boasted about his weaknesses. He lived authenticity, and he invited authenticity by confronting openly and honestly the truth that life is hard. As scripture says, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weaknesses, insults, disasters, disasters, harassments, and stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Paul was inviting openness and authenticity and vulnerability within the Christian community. So that through all of that, for all of them, there might be healing. That God might be glorified in these authentic and real relationships that they had with each other. We don't have to suffer alone. Life is hard. Yes, life is hard. But we don't go through life alone. God gives us each other. So one of the plot threads through season two of Ted Lasso is this tension that Ted has with his team psychologist, Dr. Sharon. So Ted's first panic attack happens in season one. 
Clearly, they're ongoing. Clearly, it's happening prior to her, her arrival. We as the audience know, this man needs help. This man needs a therapist. But he refuses to go to her. And even when he does eventually go to her at the beginning, he refuses to open up and admit about his suffering or anything in his past that might be causing him pain. And so we see on the other side, there's a scene later in the season where Dr. Sharon is speaking to her own therapist about her struggles with Ted, her patient. Frustrated, she's not getting anywhere. And her therapist challenges her on why. She says, Dr. Sharon, you're not getting anywhere because you refuse to open up to Ted in return. They both need to be vulnerable with each other in order for this relationship to build and healing to take place. It's what Paul is inviting in Corinth as well. To brag about our weaknesses, to brag about God's work within them so that we all might be healed together. So eventually, Dr. Sharon is vulnerable and opens up to Ted. And so Ted, in turn, has a breakthrough with Dr. Sharon. And it's all a beautiful thing to witness. And so we can see the impact of this authenticity, this vulnerability, this realness of the relationship. We can see it at play in the goodbye that they have with each other, which is a clip that we'll watch together. So at first, Dr. Sharon tries to leave without any sort of goodbye in person, only with a letter. She abandons the team's goodbye party that they had been working for days on putting together. She doesn't even take the time to receive the gift from the team. And of course, that leaves Ted emotional. And that's the exact place where this clip picks up. So let's watch it all together. Spoiler it's a bunch of cash. Thank you. Well. But Ted, you knew I was leaving. Yes, I did. But I thought I was at least going to get a chance to say goodbye to you. I mean, my wife left me. My dad left me. You, more than anyone in the world, knows how I feel when I get abandoned. And you just left I wrote about that. It's all in the letter I left for you. Letter. Okay. You mean this? This right here? Guess what? I'm not going to read your letter. Ever. Okay? You got something you want to say to me? Just say it to my face. I thought we had a breakthrough. You did. You confronted things you... No, no, no. Not me. I'm talking about us. We did, Ted. Yeah. Thanks to you, I've learned that expressing my vulnerabilities can help my patients with theirs. You helped me become a better therapist. And that's saying something, because I was already brilliant. That's nice of you to say. And yet, you were going to leave without letting me know any of that. Ted, it's all in the letter. It's all in the letter. It's all in the letter. Okay, you know, fine. I'll read stupid letter. Unreal. Mm-hmm. Spelled favorite wrong.
Very good, then. Feel more comfortable writing goodbye than saying it. Sorry. It's okay. I understand. My train to Royston doesn't leave till midnight. Wanna grab a drink? I'm buying. Yeah, okay, that'd be nice, yeah. I really gotta pee first, you know. Go to the left. So we see at this point in their relationship, they both admit that this openness, this vulnerability, the sharing of life together brought new life and healing for both of them. So Paul was trying to convey this to the Corinthians as well. We don't have to put on this act that we have it all together. It's not what scripture calls us to do. In fact, it encourages us to do the tough but needed opposite. It encourages us to boast in our weaknesses so that we might find strength and healing within the context of Christian community. So remember my postpartum anxiety I opened up with? So I remember my turning point of healing as well. I remember at one point Travis and I were staring at the ceiling. Neither of us were able to sleep when I finally admitted what was going on in my head. My worries, that stream of consciousness, my always pounding heart. And you know what happened? Travis admitted that he had a lot of the same fears too. And in that moment, I found that I was so much less alone. I found hope. I began to find healing. I found the strength to let other people in on my struggles. My midwife, my friends, a therapist, eventually my church. And it is through that that I have found such new life and healing. Thanks be to God. And so my hope for us today is that we can continue to find practical ways to foster the same openness, the same care, the same healing within the Christian community. In a world that is struggling with mental health issues, in a world that is struggling with loneliness and isolation, I believe this is what God is calling the church to do. This is a valuable need that the church can fulfill. So maybe for you, you hear this and this is a specific call because you are passionate about this to learn about our congregational care ministries, about how we are there for people on their worst days and how we can be with people and care for people in these struggles. And I would love to connect with you on that on how you can support in ways big and small. Or maybe for you, it's just a powerful reminder of that truth that life is hard, but that we don't go through life alone. That God gives us each other. An affirmation that boasting about our weaknesses is in fact okay. It's not unchristian to have mental illnesses. To be struggling or just going through a difficult or stressful season. To need medication to see a therapist. Or even to need inpatient treatment if that's what it requires. God wants you to have hope and healing whatever that looks like. 
And you do not have to be alone in those things either. So friends, may we remember that God is with us. God is with us in all the twists and the turns and the difficulties of life. And may we cling to the powerful promise that God has given us each other. And we can connect with each other. And we can let that be a powerful catalyst for healing each other and helping to heal our world. Will you close with me in prayer? God, we thank you that we can boast about our weaknesses because in you we are made strong. We thank you that although life is hard, we do not go through it alone. May we be equipped, may we be empowered to care for one another, to care for our siblings in this world, all throughout the twists and the turns of life. Amen. And so as we prepare to go from this place, may you hear this benediction. May we know that sometimes life is hard, and that's okay. But we don't go through life alone. God is with us, and God gives us each other. So may we remember to be there for each other. May we remember to ask others for support when we need it. May we be that light. May we shine that light. May we look for that light when we need it the most. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.